It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest has been a close friend of mine for over 30 years. In the beginning, it would be about 10 years into our relationship that I would learn from her that she was a mother who was unable to raise her first son. And she would learn from me at that time that I was an adopted person. Her name is Gail. And among many other great things, she is an adoptee ally. She helped me through the years to better understand the tremendous heartache felt by a birth parent who placed a child for adoption. In this episode, Gail shares a part of her journey being separated from her son, Drew, in search of him, and reunited despite a closed system during the 1970s in Chicago. During the 1990s, when Gail and I met, she was in the midst of changing careers and becoming a massage therapist. She would often heal my stressed and weary muscles through massage while simultaneously feeding my spirit with her words of encouragement. Allow me to introduce to you someone that played a major role in the beginning of my lifelong journey of healing as an adoptee. As an extraordinary woman, she is empathetic to all adoptees in search of their biological family and desires to lend her support to the entire constellation. During times in this episode, there is sensitive content that may be traumatizing to some audiences. Listener discretion advised. Gail, my friend in Indiana, how are you doing today? I'm great, Jennifer. <laughs> I, 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 I feel so good and so vibrant. In fact, when you ask me, when you say something to me, it's like a big smile comes across my face. <laughs> well, you are a smiler, you know, like me. And so, yeah, we we share that in common for sure. Yeah. And, and I'm just so excited to have this conversation with you because we go back many, many years and have developed and maintained a friendship over all this time. And it, it's meaningful to me to be able to share with the listener, your words. And so I thought I would start with 2012. We talked a couple of days ago and, and a few weeks ago. And even though sometimes we, you know, we don't talk regularly, we pick mm-hmm. up right where we left off. But one of the most yes. impactful times in our friendship was when you were at the party I gave to open my original birth certificate. So it was a really big deal. And for you to come 
meant so much to me. And I want to read a section in my book about okay. that day. Because you would, when I invited people to get up and say a few words, you yeah. took that invitation. And I just want to share, page 115, I write, Gail shared, I felt sad and my heart ached for adoptees who are searching for their birth parents. I needed to share what it felt like having to make a decision to give up your child. There were various reasons I ended up putting my child up for adoption. About 10 years later, I decided to start looking for that child. That's when I learned that the records were sealed. They didn't want to give me any information. Somebody suggested that I hire an attorney. I tried several attorneys. Nobody would touch the case. All right, that was in the 70s. Went past the 80s into the 90s, and started looking for my son again. And I continued for several years using locator services that they were advertising on Oprah and all that stuff. End of your quote. I write, I was glad that Gail shared her story and once again respected her courage. She continued her story by saying, I went on the Internet, keyed in the word adoption, A website called reunionregistry.com cropped up real quick, and so I put in all my information, and they said possible match. I'm like, you know these people need to stop. They shouldn't play with people's emotions like that. The very next day when I came home from work, I had a voicemail on my phone, and it said, call Reunion Registry. We think there's a possible match or something like that. Yeah. Come to find out, it was my son looking for me. He had been registered with that agency for about five years. So describe for me that day at the party when you so eloquently shared a part of your journey, what that felt like, what that meant to be in front of the people that you didn't know. That was so courageous. What did that feel like for you? Well, Jennifer, it was a little heartbreaking. It was a little scary because I was listening to what some people were saying, and I was realizing that there were still some people there that were hurting. Mm. Even though they may not have expressed it, I, I just felt it. And... I felt like I needed to give them something from another perspective, if you will, because I get the impression that some people kind of look down on on mothers that put their child up for adoption. You know, it's like maybe that's the first thing that comes to their mind, and then they may change how they think about it depending on other variables. But I felt that I needed to share what was going on with me at that particular time because I don't think there was anybody else there to do that. Right. And and so it's like, okay, I guess I'm chosen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because neither one of us could have imagined you getting up and, and sharing that story. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's like a spirit inside of me just urging me on to go ahead and do that because I I, I certainly hadn't planned to get up and <laughs> speak in right. front of people, you know. Yes. Well, I'm yeah. so glad you did. I, I will be eternally grateful for that because, mm. as you said, um, there were people hurting in the room. I think adoptees were on a journey of lifelong healing and yeah. There were several adoptees in the room that I, as I looked at their faces, I knew that they were receiving your words and that we have no way of knowing how helpful and beneficial your words were, but mm. you, you chose to, to, to share them. And, and so I thank you. Oh, that's quite all right. I, I felt good doing it. And I was really hoping that somebody would feel where I was coming from and that it would help them in some kind of way, you know. I'm sure it did. So being a birth mom, first mom, original mom, which which term do you prefer? Uh, birth mom is fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been asking that because I don't want to assume. I think all the guests so far have had a total of four, I believe four or five birth moms on the podcast. And everyone so far has said birth mom, but I know in some circles it's offensive to mothers who have been unable to raise their children. So I, I just thought I would ask you. And so as a birth mom, do you want to share a little bit about what relinquishment was and and when that happened for you, um, however much you want to share, wherever you want to start. Can I start before I even had him? When I was still when I was still pregnant, I was 14 years old, a sophomore in high school. Of course, I couldn't attend my regular high school. So I had to go to a school for pregnant mothers so I could keep up my education. But I was the only one at the school that had planned to put their child up for adoption. And apparently I thought about it based on what was going on in my life every day and where I thought I could go. And maybe my view was limited, but I felt like I came from a somewhat dysfunctional family, you know, not totally, but somewhat. My mom and my stepfather weren't really willing to take on a child. And, and, and I hate to say this, but basically my mom was saying that she didn't want her husband taking care of somebody else's child. Mm. And I'm like, wow, okay. Um, so at that time, before I even had my child, I talked with my grandmother, I talked with the father, of the child and and his parents i tried to find my godmother and i was just trying to think of people that i could give my child to that could raise him nicely Mm -hmm. or raise him in a good way my grandmother wasn't willing i couldn't find my godmother the father of the child refused to acknowledge that it was his child his parents were just silent, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I had no other choice but to give him up for adoption. And because I I chose to go ahead and do that, I just prayed to God at age 14 to, I asked God 
if he would take care of my son, find somebody that could adopt him, that could give him all the love and anything else that he needed and wanted, you know, and that was before I even had him. I have to say that after I had my child, and in those days, they, if you, when you were in the birthing room, in the operation room, they would turn, if you were going to keep your child, they would turn the mirror in a way where you could see the baby, you know, after they delivered the baby. But if you were not going to keep the child, they turned the mirror in a different direction so you couldn't even see what the child looked like. Mm. And so, Yeah. And so that's what they did with me because they knew that I was going to put my child up for adoption. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. I never, I never heard that. Yeah. I, so I never saw him, had no idea what he looks like. I knew basically what time he was born and that it was a boy. (laughs) Were you allowed to name him? Yeah, they did allow me to name him. Um, I had named him Carrie Lamar Taylor. (laughs) later on, you know, later on, he, his name was changed and that was okay, Mm -hmm. you know, but I have to say that God definitely answered my prayers. Oh my goodness. Even though he, when I'm jumping ahead, when we finally met and he told me that he was adopted when he was four, four years old, but he also told me that the foster parents that kept him kept a baby book they kept a baby book on everything that he liked and he did and when he started doing this and when he started doing that and they just took really good care of him oh wow that's great oh god because that doesn't always happen right but i'm glad it did happen you know he was taken good care of until he was adopted and he was adopted at age four by a male, uh, a husband and wife. The, the father was a school teacher and the mother was a nurse, you know, and she had been in the armed forces. So she was an army nurse. Mm, <laughs> wow. So he had a good childhood. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He did. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much power in prayer. It's come up quite a oh. bit on this podcast. Um, wow. And I, I believe, yeah, I believe in prayer. Yeah. And and back in those days, I didn't even know if God really heard me. I was talking to him anyway, but I didn't know if he really heard me. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. that That's just a big situation to have to relinquish and, and, and really trust your prayers and then learn later, learn if they were heard. And, and so clearly when you do find Drew, what was that like? I was, I thought when I, when I placed that call to reunion registry, I was excited, but I didn't want to get too excited. But my first question to him, when we, cause they put us together on the phone on like a conference call. And my first question to him was, do you hate me? Mm. Do you hate me? You know, uh, because I didn't know what his life had been like. And he said, no, I don't hate you. He said, but I would like to know the circumstances surrounding why I was put up for adoption. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I told him and I, I said, I'm going to tell you the truth because you need to know. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. right. 
Yes. I was elated. I was happy that he wasn't angry with me and I could clearly tell that he was happy. But now now here's the thing. He had to he was a little skeptical too because the first one of the first things he said to me was what is your middle name? <laughs> you know? Right. And he, so I said, Lynn. He said, and, and what was your name when you were a teenager? I said, my <laughs> name was Gail Lynn Taylor. So he, he kind of like, yeah, interrogated you a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And he said, I just wanted to make sure because I had found, he said, I had found some records that my father was keeping. I saw the name Gail Lynn Taylor. Right. Wow. Uh, and, and he said, he asked his father if he knew me. And he asked his mother if she knew me. And they both did not know me, of course, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah, you passed so, the test. Yeah, I passed the test. <laughs> I'm so glad you passed it. <laughs> me too. Me too. You know, I think that he was as happy to find me as I was to find him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know that Drew, he has such a big family now. And yeah, as uh, adoptees, because I feel the same way. It's like it's just more people to know about, care about, love, be with, and and it's okay. Like family can be really big, so I'm oh, happy yeah. for him and you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah. So I know, yeah. like that's just a part of your journey, and as we like kind of go back in time even before you found him because like we have been in touch and, and just kind of hung out through the years and talked about so many things. What yeah. stands out to you, um, I guess the most about our friendship? The thing that stands out is how I felt so connected to you. You touched my heart. I don't know if it was your personality, your spirit. It's like you touched my heart. And <laughs> I was just forever your friend from that point on. So I, I think it's the way you asked me questions, Jennifer. Questions that, that you really wanted to know the answer to. Because many times people will say, oh, how are you? And this and that and that. They, but their concentration is really not on what you're saying. They're just asking to be polite or whatever. But during the many conversations that we had, you asked some pertinent questions, and I wanted to give you the most honest answer that I could without putting on any airs, without trying to impress you or anything like that. I was just truthful and I was glad that I could be honest and truthful and just let my guard down with you well thank so. you for that and, and I I totally agree I remember when I learned that you had relinquished a child and and me sharing that I was an adopted person and how you were willing to like help me I guess answer some questions because I had so many it felt like you created and allowed space for me to ask those questions 
that wow. I had and just just for us to have a conversation about it and it was really it was really deep for me to learn that you were a birth mom. I just remember thinking Gail came into my life as beautiful of a person as she is and our friendship is great. It's like it's even bigger than that. Like I I just was excited about knowing the I guess the depths of why a person can come in your life, particularly right. like when you don't know their story. And it would be a while. Like we had been in relationship a while before yeah. I learned that. That's exactly right. I mean, because over a 30-year period, and it was probably more than 30 years that we've been knowing each other, but I didn't learn that about you and you didn't learn that about me until at least 10 years. Right. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating that you just never know why, like how big it could be Mm -hmm. to be friends with someone like there's Mm -hmm. like there's always more to the story. That's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Yeah. And there there's always a reason. I I believe that there's always a reason that people connect Mm -hmm. and we might not know what that reason is at the moment. And like you said, for a few years. You know, but then when things started opening up yeah, and talking about different things, then we find out this and we find out that. Yeah. You know? I know when you switched careers, I want to say it was in the 90s. Was it in the late 90s? Yeah. Yeah. 96, 97. Yeah. And you became a massage therapist. I thought, how exciting is that? And then you would do work on me and friends of mine. And (laughs) I was like, this is so cool. And your life has just been extraordinary. I just feel like you, you have been through many challenges. And as I was telling you about this quote, I've been sitting with by the poet Frost, the only way out is through. I feel like you're a perfect example of that. And Mm. When we were talking the other night, um, I was asking you a couple of different things about when you share your story or part of your story about your sons, because you had Drew first and then you would later have Christopher. What do you like? What do you share and how does it come up? Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Uh, You mean about having Christopher or going well, you know, the, not... the question I often am wondering how birth parents answer when they have a child that they relinquished and then they go on to have other children and someone asks oh. them, how many children do they have? Do they include uh-huh. the the child they were unable to raise? Some do, some don't. And you expressed to yeah. me that you okay. do mention both of your sons. Yeah, most times I do. And it depends on what the setting is. Like if I'm out and I'm amongst people that don't know me and I'll probably never see again or whatever, I might tell them that I have had two sons, but I don't always go into any details. But say, for instance, in in a, a more personal setting where it's people that I know or even if I've been knowing them just for a short time, and I think that they might be open to that story, then I'll tell them, I had two children, 
one I put up for adoption because I, I got pregnant at a young age. And then I had another son later that ended up passing away when he was 16. I don't always come out and say how he passed away. I might save that or or not tell them at all, <laughs> depending on how I feel. Right. You know? But but many times I do tell people that I've had two children, two sons. And you know, if, if somebody is saying, Oh yeah, well I gotta my 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 child is this age and my child is that age and they're doing this and they're doing that, then I'll start talking about Drew and how old he is and what he's doing, you know, these days because he's fifty five years old. Can you believe it? No. <laughs> Like when you just said that, I'm like, he. I guess so. Yeah, he's right there with me. Yeah, <laughs> he is 55 years old. He's an engineer, and he's doing really well. Just built a house and in, in in the Dallas area, and he's just is he's doing extremely well, right. you know. And I believe that if my second son was alive, I believe that he would be doing well. Because he was a smart young guy. Right. He was a guy. Yeah. Yes. So I do generally tell people I've had two sons. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I often think about birthdays being difficult for adoptees, and, and perhaps they're sometimes difficult for birth parents because as a mother who's given birth, there's no way I would forget my son's birthday. And right. so I, I'm always interested in asking birth moms if birthdays or Mother's Day even is difficult, those particular days when they come up each year. Have you experienced them being difficult at any time? Not really. I always remember Drew's birthday, April 9th. So around his birthday, I would always wonder what he's doing and what he looked like and whether I would even know him if I saw him, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as far as Mother's Day, I didn't consider myself a mother. So it didn't hurt. Until you had Christopher, you didn't consider yourself Um, a mother? I had Christopher. (laughs) I mean, when I actually had Christopher, uh, another whole world opened up that I had never experienced. And that mother instinct is something, is something to be reckoned with, you know? And that is when I started wondering how my firstborn was doing and whether or not he was safe. And that was the main reason I started looking for him when I was pregnant with Christopher. Mm. A whole different thing kicked in. Right. Um, yeah. So that that's what pushed me and pushed me to try to find him. One question that the attorney, one attorney asked at the time is, why do you even want to find him? I said, all I need to know is if he's okay. I don't have to be in his life. You know, I don't know what the circumstances are, but I need to know that he is okay. Sure. Yeah, that is it. Well, you know, disenfranchised grief and ambiguous loss 
is very real for, I think, birth parents and adoptees. And it's not often talked about, but when it is talked about, it's like, hmm, that's a big deal where you, you as an adoptee or you as a, a birth parent aren't allowed to grieve the loss. And so right. how has that affected you, disenfranchised mm-hmm. grief and ambiguous loss? Well, it it really caused me to be sad in my spirit many times. I just kind of dealt with it. It hurt. It hurt. It hurt. But I had to keep moving on in hopes that my child was okay. And I did not get a chance to grieve. In fact, I feel like I had to hit the ground running, playing catch up mm. with life, basically. So I just I just kept moving. I allowed it to have its space within me. And there were times that that I would cry. I just sometimes felt like a failure and I had just really gotten out there in life. So it didn't make me feel really good. Many times I felt a little inferior because I I felt like I didn't succeed at doing that, having my child and being able to take care of them. And just even later on in life, I it contributed to my not feeling real good about myself. You know, because when there were times when I would tell a person that I put my child up for adoption, they would say, how could you do that? It was always so negative. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was just really negative. And it made me wonder, what is wrong with you, Gail, that that you were able to do that and and feel, I guess, feel cold about it? In other words, I did it so cleanly, but I have to realize, too, that I gave a lot of thought (laughs) to all of that and thought and reasoning and planning, basically. And so when it was time, I, I did it. But forgive me for throwing this in, but it's almost like when a woman has an abortion, they may think about it, but then they tuck it away inside and they hit the ground and they keep moving because they know why they did it. They feel like that was the best choice at that time, but it it stays with the person forever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so complicated. Like none of this is, is without complication. Oh, truly. Truly, yeah, it's it's big. It's, it's yeah. Some some birth mothers try to forget, you know, and especially those that really do not want contact with their birth child. You know, they try to forget. They try to put it out of their lives. But to me, it's best not to forget. Mm. At least that's the way I felt about it. I didn't try to forget about my birth, my firstborn, nor did I want to forget about him. 
you know? Yeah. I think that's one of the first questions a lot of adoptees have when they are in reunion with the birth parent, a birth mom, is did you think about me? I've heard that oh. many times. So Yeah. Be I just because they wanna know. I could not stop thinking about him. I would put it to the side and do whatever else I was doing, but it was like he was always there. His, I guess his spirit was always there and a part of me, and it was not to be ignored. <laughs> not to be ignored. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Thank you for sharing that. I think it means a lot to adoptees to hear that they were thought about, they were remembered when their birthdays rolled around and yeah, it wasn't just tucked away as if it never happened because yeah. it, it's a trauma for the birth parent and the adoptee. Yeah. When I think of the constellation, I think that the adoptive parent may have issues with the loss of fertility, for example, which leads them to adopt for the adoptee and the birth parent disenfranchised grief is ours to bear, that that we, out of the constellation, really experience that because we're kind of expected to just go on with life. This happened to you, and Uh there's not the space to grieve. No, that's something that stays with a person forever. And can I introduce something else to you that kind of substantiates what what you just said? I was a, a certified infant massage therapist. But in order for me to get a certification, I had to take classes and do the, you know, just do different things. One of the things, one of my projects was to view a movie about children, infants being born. Oh, and the name of the video was What the Child Wants. Okay, and in this video, basically, they were showing and pretty much proving that when you have a child, that child needs to be close to you, like on your chest, so that the mother's body helps to regulate the child's body and that it creates it creates a need to thrive. Because children that are put aside, like infants that are put aside and never touched, never hugged, never talked to, they lose the desire to thrive and they will die. They will die. It's been proven. Infants that get close to their mom or have close contact early, early out of the womb stay connected. All right? Now, those that don't stay connected, There's something that they go through during their lifetime. They may not even know what it is, or they may not know what what this feeling is they have inside of them or why they feel so aloof or maybe even disconnected from people sometimes, all right? They gave a couple of studies, and one, one man, when his mother was pregnant with him, it was back in the 20s, Oh, God, I don't even know if I want to go tell you this. It's It was two incidences. This one man was being born. His dad was taking the mother, driving the mother to the hospital or to the doctor, really. 
he had to pull on the side of the road because she said baby was coming. He pulled on the side of the road and forgive me for saying this, but what he did was push the baby back up inside of her mm. un- until he could get to the doctor. And that made when the baby was finally born, it made him feel that he told later in life that he was not wanted. Mm. And he felt that way all of his life based on what happened to him before he was even born. Now, quickly, another child, um, a mother and her daughter, this little girl was only about five years old. She just, mother and daughter could not get along. Mother didn't know what was going on. It felt like her five-year-old just hated her. Okay? Now, when they were in the psychologist's office, psychologists had toys for a child to play with. Child found all of these little toys, these little people, built a room where the mother lays down on the table after she has the baby. There's a baby, there's a man, there's the uh, other furniture and everything. This little girl had the mother lay down in the bed, had the man stand to the side, a man like was the father, had the little infant laying on the mother's chest and then there was a light shining down like a little lamp like a stand-up lamp uh, shining down on mom and baby it was amazing because the psychologist asked the little girl what that was and so she said that was when she was born that was when she was born And so the mother looked at that little setup and the mother said, well, everything is almost in the exact place, except the baby wasn't on my chest. (laughs) So the baby was nowhere near, you know? And so the psychologist asked the the daughter, why did you put the baby on mom's chest? And she said, because that's where I wanted to be. Mm. Yeah. That's where I wanted to be. Now, imagine that an infant, people think that infants know nothing and feel nothing, but they do. Yeah. Just because they're nonverbal doesn't mean that they are not in tuned. They're they're not in tune. Right. And, And they are very much in tune and they want certain things. And if they don't get it, it kind of changes their life a little bit, maybe not drastically, but in some cases it might. You're actually reminding me of something called attachment, secure and insecure attachment. That is something that we as human beings long for. And it does Mm -hmm. start in utero even, I think, and certainly upon birth, that's when we can either develop a secure attachment to mom or an insecure attachment. And it's something that we are constantly working with in all of our other relationships with people through the years. It's a pretty important thing. mm -hmm, I think so, too. With regard to that movie that I was talking about, I feel like I'm one of those children that didn't get what they wanted. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I might be a child that wasn't put on my mom's chest. I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, uh, trauma just, shows up in so many different ways in probably all of our lives. Yeah, yeah. So, well, interesting though. Mm -hmm, it is. Yeah. So what made you decide when I asked you to be a part of the podcast, what was it that made you say, okay, yes, I'll be open, honest, and public about your experience? Well, I just feel that people need to know that when you have a child and you end up putting that child up for adoption, there's a lot of reasons why. And sometimes people kind of look down on the mother or just feel that the mother, you know, something's wrong with that person. Why would they do that? That is so heartless. People you know? get real judgmental and, and they don't even have the total picture. Yeah. And so I just, I just felt that a person needs to know that the birth mother has feelings and emotions and went through, possibly went through a bunch of changes before she even made the decision, the decision to uh, put that child up for adoption, you know, and I just feel that people need to know another perspective. They, they need to know. They need to know the true narrative. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I was glad that you provided a platform to do that, because the only chance I get to talk about this kind of thing is, <laughs> is it, this deeply is if somebody asks me and truly wants to know and we're in a one on one situation, mm -hmm. you know, as, otherwise, this is just information that I keep tucked right inside. You know, well, you know, there's a podcast that was created right around the same time this one was last year, 2021 in March. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's called Birth Moms Real Talk. And the host is D. Yvonne. She's been a guest on this show. And so there's another platform that, you know, I would be glad to put you in contact with her. Uh, she's doing really great work sharing mm -hmm. the narrative of of birth parents. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. It, and I think it's very courageous when adoptive parents, birth parents, and adoptees come forth and are open and honest so that the true narrative can be out there. Because sometimes people get left behind. We really need people to know the true story of things and and how complicated it is and all of our stories are unique in, in their own way. And yet we're talking about trauma. We're talking about grief. We're talking about some pretty heavy subjects as yeah. it relates to relinquishment. So, you know, I appreciate you being a part yeah. of, of this podcast. I really thank you so much. And what would you say is the most meaningful thing about being in reunion with True? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Well, I get a chance to hug him and kiss him. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm around him, it's like I want to hug him and not let him go. Mm -hmm. I get a chance to see how he's developed and realize that he's much like me, even though we grew up uh, or he grew up in a completely different household and all that. 
we have very similar characteristics in how we think about things, how we do things, our attitude towards things, different situations. That just amazes me, you know, but I'm just glad to know that we are connected. Yes. I think it means everything to know your biological family, like who you're biologically related to. Like it doesn't get much bigger than that, even if you had a great childhood, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I wanted to kind of end on where we began, which was in the 90s. And just mm-hmm. so the listener knows, that's probably one of my favorite decades, if not the favorite. And that would be the decade that I met you. And it was through an art party. And back then, I used to give these art parties where I introduced Black art, and particularly my Aunt Annie Lee's art, to large groups in their homes. It was such a wonderful experience. And you would be at one of the parties, and, (laughs) and you would be among a host of people that really enjoyed and appreciated Black art. And oh, yeah. and how that unfolded through the years of us building and and developing and maintaining a friendship to this very day means everything to me. And you never know how someone crossing your path is going to impact you through the years in ways you could never imagine. And you have done that and been that in my life. And I just find it interesting that it would all start from the whole experience of black art. So art. <laughs> and I still love art. <laughs> you, Me too. Yeah. yeah, I was amazed and pleasantly surprised to know that you were even related to Annie Lee because I had seen her work in a doctor's office. That was the first place I ever saw her work. And then when I met you at the art party and I saw that this work was by a woman, a black woman named Annie Lee. I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I love black art, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mother, my mother had some pieces hanging in her house by another black artist. So I was definitely into black artwork. Mm-hmm. And that was the common ground that we started on. Yeah, that's fascinating to me that art can do that. Like, <laughs> art can yeah. play a major part in some great things happening, some wonderful relationships that can last a lifetime. And I feel like I have that in you. And I just appreciate you so much for being so transparent with me. I feel like Thank that's you. how you've always shown up and it's important. Like when you find people that do that in your life, you just treasure them. Thank you for having this conversation with me. And is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? I don't know, Jennifer. I just, I, I could talk forever, but I guess I, I think that we've, we've spoken about quite a few things, both sons really, but definitely my son that was adopted So I think you covered a lot. You covered a lot. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It means Mm -hmm. a lot to me. And I know we'll talk again and maybe you'll even come back on. Well, (laughs) yeah, I'm just glad that we had this relationship and that our relationship stayed intact because you were definitely with me 
through some dark times and I look at it like you were an angel in my life you know like a light in the darkness actually I appreciate you so much so you continue to do what you're doing <laughs> because I believe that you're going to be a light if not already you're going to be a light in a lot of people's lives I know that you were a light in my life so and you I, and mine thank you <laughs> I thank you Gail and I often chat about leaning into positivity no matter the situation by reframing things as many times as necessary until it is an empowering rather than a disempowering experience. Through the years, I've witnessed her take the best way out by going through some of the toughest challenges in life. I had the awesome privilege of knowing her dear son, Christopher, before his passing, and he was truly a beautiful young man. I can't help but think of him when I think of Gail. His memory and spirit lives on. And years later, I would meet Drew, who has created a wonderful life for his family. And the genetic mirroring between he and Gail was undeniable. Today, he is a handsome, artistic, and level-headed 55-year-old engineer. Those sobering stories, I appreciate Gail sharing the evidence that suggests that the desire to form secure, healthy attachments know the world to be a safe place, and being in tune with the environment around us starts early. It is stored somewhere in the body. Once again, I'm reminded that our pre-verbal time in life doesn't mean that we don't remember the events that happened to us. Thank you, Gail, for having this conversation with me. You show up and step right up for me in courageous ways to lend your support. You have been a bright light in my life, countless times displaying the biggest smile I know. Something I know you will treasure forever is that your husband, Johnny, loves Drew like his own son and is happy that you're happy that Drew is in your lives. I know you haven't had to carry a sometimes extremely heavy load in life alone because Johnny was right by your side. If people knew how much fun you two have riding motorcycles, traveling, and being in each other's corner they would know like I do how special a couple you are to me. Congratulations, because of Drew, on being a grandmother of three, a great-grandmother of one, and two more on the way, or already here. Lastly, you already know that I'll treasure our friendship for a lifetime. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey please visit jenniferdianegostin.com. Thank you for being here, and please check out my website for other episodes, onceuponatimeinadopteeland.com.